Now, when we're in a time when we're all experiencing something that none of us have ever experienced before, we're not supposed to know how to navigate it by yourself. So this is a wonderful time to take that step, reach out. We will embrace you and affirm you and work with you through whatever it is that you are dealing with right now. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, I'm so excited to have Dr. Al Corlozzi back on the podcast. Al is one of my favorite people that I've had the pleasure to meet and work alongside in the past nine years at the Mental Health Association. He's one of the greatest mental health advocates in the state and probably any other. So, Al, welcome back. Thank you, Matt. Glad to be back. All right. So the reason that Al is here today is, and this is super cool because I've never met anybody who had anything named after them, but OSU Tulsa named its counseling center, the Al Carlozzi Center for Counseling. And that is so cool. And so Al and I invited Dr. Sarah Johnson on the podcast today. She's a licensed psychologist and she's the director of the Al Carlozzi Center for Counseling at OSU Tulsa. So before we get started, I want to give people an overview of the Center for Counseling Services. So it provides free and sliding scale counseling services to our community, and it has a particular focus on working with marginalized populations, particularly the LGBTQ plus population. So now, Al, I want you to kind of give us a little background on how you first became associated with the OSU Tulsa and then kind of lead us into them saying, hey, Al, we like to name this counseling center after you. Okay. Well, you know, I came to OSU Tulsa from Stillwater in 2006, and I had spent 27 years in Stillwater, starting as an assistant professor, worked my my way up to professor, and uh, served in several administrative positions, department head, school head, and associate dean and interim dean of the graduate college for about six years. And So I had had many opportunities that I've enjoyed at OSU, but I had never done one thing that I really wanted to do in my career was direct a counseling center. I had interned at a university counseling center and I had done my first, my year of postdoc supervised experience as a psychologist at the OSU counseling services, at least to some extent working there. So I had a fondness for university counseling centers but I had never directed one. And so when the then director of the OSU Tulsa Counseling Psychology Training Clinic, that's what it was called at first, was about to leave OSU Tulsa for another position, I seized upon the opportunity and spoke to the president and vice president of OSU Tulsa. And I said, would it be okay if I moved over as a full professor and serve as director of the counseling center and do what I can to increase graduate student enrollment in our counseling programs. And basically they said, how soon can you get here? And so I literally spoke to them, I think in April or May, and I moved to Tulsa in July. You know, when I came there, we had four staff members and myself, two doctoral student graduate assistants and two master student interns. And over the years, as we increased the client population, pretty dramatically over the next few years, uh, we increased the number of interns and uh, graduate assistants to work with me at the counseling center. And it was just a great experience. I mean, I, I can't imagine doing what I really wanted to do, which was direct a counseling center and also being a faculty member who taught courses and advised students and still directed dissertations 
all of it from the OSU Tulsa campus. So it was just a wonderful way to spend the last 13 years of my career. And I retired in May, I mean, I'm sorry, June, June 1st of 2019, last year. Just shortly before I retired, Renee, my wife and I established with the OSU Foundation, an OSU Tulsa Counseling Center fund, put a few thousand dollars into that fund. And that was great because I remember how hard it was to get money. Sarah will know that too, though. She's, I think we're doing much better now because another donor popped up several months later and donated a sizable amount of money to that fund. And so that enabled Sarah, the new director, to do many things, including renovate the facilities, expand the facilities, improve the technology, and shift smoothly, I think, from everything I can see from the outside to telehealth counseling, which so many of us have had to move to now with COVID. Yeah, and I, you know, I feel I'm proud of a number of things I've done in my career, but I will tell you that one of the things I'm most proud of was chairing the search committee that hired Dr. Sarah Johnson. I cannot think of a better person for this position. And I know it's her dream to direct a counseling center and teach and doing all the things that she's doing. And so I couldn't be happier with the person who's running this counseling center, which got named after me. And I had no idea that was going to happen. When I retired from OSU at my retirement gathering at OSU Tulsa, it was announced that they were going to establish or they had established a scholarship in my name, which was totally shocking. I had no idea that that was even going to happen. Uh, and I thought, that's great. What a way, what a send off, wonderful send off. And then a few months later, the president of OSU Tulsa invited Renee and I to lunch and told us that they had just gotten approval from the regents to name the OSU Tulsa Counseling Center, the Al Carlos E. Center for Counseling at OSU Tulsa. And I was shocked. And first, my, my first few comments were, okay, wait, I was just doing my job. <laughs> and two, don't you have to be dead before they name something after you? <laughs> <So> <laughs> and they said, no, okay, well, in any case, that happened. And again, I couldn't be happier with what's being done at the Counseling Center now. The fact that it bears my name is, is very flattering and kind and generous of OSU and OSU Tulsa. But I do, I'm very proud of what the center is doing and what Sarah is doing as the leader, as director of the Counseling Center. Very good. Well, congratulations. We're so proud of you, Al. All right. So, Sarah, now I want you to explain sort of your own journey to OSU Tulsa and heading up this counseling center. Yeah. So, I am from Tulsa originally. I grew up here. I worked in mental health here before I went to graduate school. I have parents who worked in mental health in Oklahoma. I like to say my mom used to work out at Eastern State. So, I actually spent school holidays and breaks hanging out up in Venita. So, I very much felt like I wanted to come back to Tulsa and be in the mental health field here specifically. I saw a lot of the needs in the community. And so, my journey of education and such took me down to Texas. I went to Texas Women's University for um, my PhD in counseling psychology. While I was there, completed a number of practica, but mostly in uh, university counseling centers. That's where I completed my pre-doctoral internship up at Kansas State. And then my postdoc was down at Southern Methodist University back down in Texas. So knew that I really, really wanted to be in some type of college counseling. I really love that population. I really love this kind of 
exciting time in your life, whether you're this kind of traditional college age student where you're just figuring things out for the first time, or you're coming back around to college trying to figure things out again, or maybe for the first time as well. I think it's a really fun time to get to be with people. So I knew I very much wanted to do that, but then was also, again, hoping to come back to Tulsa. And so just so happened that OSU was looking for a visiting assistant professor the, as soon as I finished up my postdoc. So I came back up here and started, that was in 2017. And so I worked for two years as a visiting assistant professor, one year over in Stillwater, driving back and forth a couple times a week, and then made my way over here to Tulsa. And when I got here, people made some kind of murmurings, you know, uh, Al might be retiring soon, but we don't know. You know, he's talked about it. We're not sure. And then the timing just kind of worked out. And like Al said about his kind of dream, I mean, it's the same for me, getting to be a professor and get to work with students and train this kind of upcoming generation of clinicians is just a huge dream of mine. So to get to do that at the same time while also working and directing this center where it's a fantastic kind of hybrid of a college counseling center because we do serve OSU students, faculty, and staff as you would in a traditional you know, university counseling setting. We also get to serve the community in a really great way that you don't often get to do in university counseling centers. So it's a really, really, really wonderful hybrid in terms of the center and then also in terms of getting to teach and train students as well as do this kind of clinical aspect too. So it's been a really fun journey. It's been a very interesting first year, you know, to have this, you know, worldwide pandemic hit about partway through has been interesting, but a wonderful learning experience in some sense, I suppose. But yeah, I think ending up here, I feel incredibly lucky. I feel like I inherited a center that was uh, well run, that had some wonderful, wonderful things kind of in progress. I also came in at the same time, around the same time as our new university president, Dr. Fry, who had been here, but then has become president Again, around the same time I started as the director and to get to work with her and just her kind of focus on the community of Tulsa and making that part all aspects of OSU Tulsa, including the counseling center has also been a really been quite a joy to get to have that support and encouragement and be able to have the administrative um, support behind continuing to serve the community, again, in a way that college counseling centers aren't always able to do because there's obviously, you know, pushes and pulls from the kind of campus community at large. So it's been a fantastic thing. We, we've grown and grown, like Al said, over time. Right now we have eight master's level interns, two doctoral level practicum students, three doctoral level graduate assistants, and then two new positions, which are our crisis graduate assistants to see students, faculty, and staff in crisis. So we're growing in a really, really wonderful, positive direction. Can you explain how people can engage with services and also explain what it means to provide free and sliding scale counseling services? Yes, absolutely. So right now, I will say we are still doing primarily telehealth services for the fall semester. We do have some limited in-person offerings, but so our contact kind of first contact looks a little bit different at the moment. But the way that people get in contact with us is by calling our main phone number, which is the 918-594-8568. We return their call. Since we're not in the office, we're doing that all remotely. We put people on a wait list and then we connect them with clinicians just as fast as possible. Our statistics show people are on the wait list usually less than a week. Obviously, that varies somewhat, but for the most part, it's a pretty quick process. So they make contact with us via phone. We call them back, talk with them, find out how we can help them, and then get them set up with someone 
We do have a Facebook page and an Instagram page, which are the best places to find out about not necessarily individual counseling services, but groups and workshops and things like that that we offer. That's where we advertise those. So that's the best way to connect. And that's both just the Al Carlozzi Center for Counseling. And then in terms of a sliding scale, so one of the things that Al established when he took over was to do a really low sliding scale. It's a wonderful way to provide services for people who can't otherwise afford it. Um, We don't do insurance or anything. It's all just self-pay, but our scale goes down to $5 a session. It's all based on income, but it's just you telling us your income. You don't have to prove anything to us. And then our students, faculty, and staff do get some sessions for free as well. So most of our clients pay five or $10 a session. What I will say that's really important for me, for people to know is that Even if $5 a session, you know, because it's one thing for us to say that's not a lot, but for some people that is a lot. So if even that is a hindrance to providing services, I would always encourage people to reach out and talk with us. And we are always happy to work with people to make exceptions to do what we need to do so that people can get services. That's one of my passions is that money is not a hindrance to people accessing the mental health services that they need. So yeah, so that looks like when you come in and talk with us the first time, then we just talk about kind of what your income allows for, and then we go from there. Awesome. So what kind of issues does the Counseling Center specialize in, and is it open to anyone? So we are open to um, anyone age about 14 and older. Um, We don't see kiddos, but we are always happy to give referrals elsewhere if people need some um, assistance finding a uh, good fit for that. We do sometimes see people a little less than 14, particularly if we have trans uh, kiddos and adolescents. We like to work with them since we have some specialization in that area and not a lot of people do. So other than that, we see individuals for a wide variety of presenting concerns. Probably our most common are depression, anxiety, PTSD, and then certainly, again, we have a specialization in terms of how we train our um, interns and working with members of the LGBTQ plus population, particularly trans clients. So Al continues to come in and train our clinicians on working with trans clients from a variety of different pieces, mostly just kind of here are some things to consider, information about writing letters for surgeries and things like that. I also am now on the path to being WPATH certified so that I also provide additional training and kind of support and supervision in that realm. So we feel pretty comfortable and confident that even though our interns are in training, that they are certainly competent um, to work with a wide variety of clients, but particularly trans clients, as I said. And so we also have gotten some really great training in working with relationships of all types. So we used to call it couples counseling. We're trying to switch over to the verbiage of relationship counseling because it's not always just couples. But we do get some great training for our interns in working with polyamorous relationships and working with couples where one or both members are trans or transitioning. Just a kind of a wide variety. And then we do have groups and workshops that are ongoing um, throughout our semester. Some of those targeted more at the community and then some targeted a little bit more at students, uh, more kind of academic related concerns. Sarah, can you talk about how the center helps people in rural areas of Oklahoma? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so a couple of different ways. So one is that we actually tend to see a fair number of people who will come to the Equality Center in downtown. They'll come for groups or different events and things there that they'll travel from elsewhere in the state. And then we work with them to be able to see them when they're here in Tulsa. I know that's been the case for several different clients who they come here because this is the place where they can, you know, have community. And so we try to work with them to be able to meet their mental health needs at the same time, whether that's an evening or, you know, whenever that might be for them. Right now, the wonderful thing about being on telehealth is that as long as they're in the state of Oklahoma, we are able to meet with them. So that's another wonderful piece about this whole kind of wild ride of switching to telehealth (laughs) during this pandemic is that we can hopefully work with people more than we were able to because obviously transportation can be quite a hindrance um, for people. And in many rural areas of Oklahoma, there are some limited mental health services or possibly none at all. So um, one of the wonderful ways that we can hopefully help meet that need right now is by working with new clients who may be elsewhere in Oklahoma, but that we would be meeting via our telehealth platforms. We are definitely willing and able to do that right now as well. And hope we're hoping that's something that can continue in the future as well. Now that we've kind of forayed into this previously unknown universe of telehealth, <laughs> hopefully we can continue um, to provide those services as well. Again, particularly for members of communities that may not feel safe Um, or comfortable to access services in kind of rural parts or places where maybe people haven't received a level of training or the care just doesn't feel as affirming or safe for them. We want to be able to provide that regardless of where they are in the state. Okay. Now a question for Al. You are an amazing advocate for people experiencing mental illness, but obviously you're an advocate for people in the LGBTQ plus population. And then tell us why you are so thrilled that the Al Carlozzi Center for Counseling has a particular focus on working with marginalized populations, including LGBTQ plus. Well, yeah. I'm originally from New York City and I've always been an ally for as long as I can remember. When I I was in the Air Force for a few years, and when I got out, I was stationed in San Antonio at Lackland Air Force Base. And while I was still in the Air Force, I volunteered at a place called the San Antonio Free Clinic in my evenings. And then when I got out of the Air Force, they hired me as co-director of the San Antonio Free Clinic. And we were the first agency, this was in 1973, I guess, we were the first agency in San Antonio, Texas, to establish gay community services. The gay community approached us and said, look, you know, we figure you're the only agency that would respond well to us and support us and provide both medical and psychological care. We had a medical staff and a mental health staff. And so we started gay community services in San Antonio, Texas in 1973. And we were kind of like pioneers at that time in the state of Texas. So I've always had an affinity toward providing services to people who are discriminated against and and experience all kinds of intolerance at all levels. And so when I came to Tulsa, I was aware of the Dennis R. Neal Equality Center. And soon after my arrival in Tulsa, I met with Toby Jenkins, who was the director of the Dennis Arneal Equality Center and started placing students there, our graduate students, to help co-lead support groups, groups like the Coming Out Group, groups like the Trans Youth Group, the Trans Adult Group. And around that same time, I was approached by a person 
who had been seeing a lot of trans clients in his practice, if I would, he asked if I would co-lead a support group with him for parents of transgender children and teens. And of course I said, yes. So I volunteered at the Equality Center and have been running that, co-leading that support group for parents of transgender children and teens for the last 10 years. And we'll probably not give that up. Even though I'm retired from OSU, I consider myself refired in some ways, <laughs> just in terms of my interests and my passions, and that's one of them. And so when I came to Tulsa, I met with Toby. We started affiliating in a variety of ways and consider myself basically a supporter of that organization. And they support the Counseling Center by referring many clients to us over the years, knowing that we, you know, have a sliding scale fee that's very low and that we're committed to social justice and making sure that we do our part to make a positive difference in the lives of our clients and in the lives of clients, particularly those that are more marginalized, who find it difficult to just deal with everyday life because of their treatment in our society. So, you know, we viewed that as our role. And so that's kind of how that happened. And then I also, as you know, established a close relationship with the Mental Health Association in Oklahoma, which at the time was Mental Health Association of Tulsa, right? It was MHAT, then we expanded to Oklahoma City, as you know, that started to happen when I was board president of Mental Health Association. And I, again, could not be more pleased with that organization. What you all do is amazing in terms of housing for so many homeless people who are homeless, at least to some extent, because of mental illness. And so I'm very connected to both organizations, Mental Health Association and the Dennis Arneal Equality Center. So, you know, how, how it happened that we kind of grew was that I established these relationships with referral sources, and that made a huge difference. And then just word of mouth, I think over time, increased our client population. We, we've at times had a wait list of over 30 people, and it became uh, a challenge. So we had to hire, you know, basically get more graduate students to serve as counselors and one thing that we didn't mention, I think, in all this is that the, the students, the graduate students, are supervised by the faculty. So we have now, how many there, would you say, four faculty? Uh, yeah, we have four in Tulsa, full-time. Right. So those faculty are the supervisors of those eight master students and the two doctoral students. So, you know, the faculty spends a lot of time providing one-to-one individual supervision for an hour per week to those students. So they get very closely supervised. Plus there's a weekly team supervision kind of meeting, staff meeting where cases can be brought up and clients that may be challenging are discussed and all of it remaining of course confidential in the context of the agency. The other thing I will say is that the OSU Tulsa Counseling Center and the Al Carlosi Center for Counseling, hard for me to get used to that is non-traditional in so many ways and unique in so many ways. We're one of the few counseling centers, university counseling centers in the country that sees community people. In fact, we prob probably see a higher number of community people than we do students, staff, and faculty. Absolutely, we see, we see about 75% of our clients are community members. Right, right. Yeah. And, and that's how it's always been. And we do that because OSU Tulsa 
is committed to making a positive difference in the Tulsa community and the surrounding areas. I mean, OSU Tulsa is not just about OSU Tulsa, it's about Tulsa. And I've been very proud of, of our university for making that kind of a difference in the community. And they do that in a variety of ways, but for our counseling center, we definitely do that. And I got nothing but positive support, and I'm assuming Sarah's getting positive mm-hmm. support from the OSU Tulsa administration to continue to see community people and not just student staff and faculty. And that kind of commitment makes me pr- proud to have been associated for so many years, 40 years actually, mm-hmm. with OSU. All right. So, Al, I'm going to turn things over to you. What questions do you have for Sarah? Well, you know, I, I've seen Sarah do amazing things things this first year as director, and again, I couldn't be happier with it, but I'm wondering, you know, what you see as the future direction and growth, you've done a lot in your first year, complete renovations of the facility and expansion of the facility, the shift to telehealth was challenging, but you pulled it off and you pulled it off beautifully. I mean, I know we're all dealing with COVID now, and the future is a little bit unknown, but I imagine at some point we're going to shift from telehealth to in-person uh, counseling again. But what do you see kind of coming up in the future that you envision would be a positive step forward for the counseling center? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny because COVID has put a bit of a pause on things. You know, there were some things that had I told you a year ago, I thought we would be doing some things now that, you know, we've had to kind of shift over, but you're right. I hope we are back in person sometime. I, my preference would be sooner rather than later. You know, I miss being in person with people and, but teletherapy is great for the time being, but I think, you know, for me, it's kind of twofold. Clearly, I think it goes without saying I plan to always maintain the community relationships that have been established to continue to maintain and support those those are of the utmost importance to me i one thing that we have done this year is try is also incorporate more on campus pieces at osu tulsa you know osu tulsa is an interesting campus it, we are part of the OSU systems. So we have a lot of support in different ways, but the OSU Tulsa campus and community is very different than the OSU Stillwater campus and community. Mostly people don't live on campus. A lot of our students are working. They have families. They have other really other responsibilities. So they're there at night more often. You know, I can't count how many people have commented when they come to the OSU Tulsa campus during the day. If they've been to the OSU Stillwater campus during the day, you know, it's a completely different experience. So one of the things we've tried to really focus on this year as well as those community relationships is how do we build services and support for our students that are on campus, even though they're coming at different times or they are, you know, really busy and have lots of different things that maybe stand in the way of them accessing services in the way that we might imagine they might traditionally access in a college counseling center. How can we provide support? So we worked a lot with student services in terms of providing different types of workshops, different types of outreaches, scheduling things that, you know, work around students' schedules, having more evening appointments, just a variety of different things to try to target the students that we do have. Because one thing that's become pretty clear is that the more kind of traditional college counseling approaches don't necessarily work at OSU Tulsa. The other side of that too is that more and more in OSU Stillwater, they are being just overrun with requests for services, <clears throat> both at their actual 
counseling services, as well as I think they have three other clinics on campus um, where they see students. So also trying to provide some additional support for, hey, if you can come over to Tulsa, we're happy to see you here for free as well. So trying to kind of establish a little bit more of an on-campus how do we target those students that are here that need services and could really benefit, but that maybe just haven't been able to access them for a number of different reasons. And then similarly, I think trying to expand some of those ties across across the city of Tulsa as well. So we have a lot of great relationships with a lot of the community agencies. Again, absolutely maintaining those and growing those in different ways as agencies grow and change and have different um, needs but also reaching out to and working with other universities and other entities in town where we could also provide some additional services, whether because their counseling services, as is the case across the country, just have too much demand, they can't meet it, or they don't offer counseling services right now. And so trying to work with some of those entities to see how we can provide some Again, it's really this kind of hybrid community and college counseling support, right? It's community ties, but specifically for college university students. So that's kind of where I see us going, at least in the near future. Lots and lots of dreams and thoughts for, you know, 10, 20 years down the road. But for the next few years, I love to continue to grow the on-campus push as well as some of that more kind of student-focused community reach, as well as finally, I think, doing a lot more outreach within the community that we're part of. You know, we're situated right in the Greenwood Cultural District. One of the things that Dr. Fry has really tried to focus on is how do we, how are we part of that community there? What do we do to give back? What do we do to become part of that? And I'd love to see the Counseling Center more and more involved in that. And actually, now I have a question for Sarah. Al has been very involved with the Zero Mental Health Symposium over the years. And this year's theme is Healing from Historical Trauma. And that is going to be virtual coming up September 30th through October 2nd. So, Sarah, can you tell us what healing from historical trauma means to you? And then maybe how the center helps people deal with that trauma? Yeah. I mean, I think that's... (laughs) could probably give a really lengthy answer, but I mean, I think one thing, you know, I'm a a white middle-class cis woman. So I think my perspective on it is probably a little bit different in the sense that I think I have a sense from working with clients, from being in academia, from working with students, but um, also it's not my lived experience. But I will say one of the things that I personally, and then I've tried to, as the director of the Counseling Center, is to shift our perspective. I think we've done a really great job of having a focus on kind of oppressed communities or marginalized communities in some pretty particular areas, which is fantastic. I've also tried to shift that a little bit too, to kind of a broader focus. And so one of the things that we worked on a lot this summer at the Counseling Center is how do we incorporate race? How do we incorporate ethnicity? How do we incorporate, you know, historical trauma and ongoing trauma um, and oppression within counseling? What does that look like? What does that dialogue look like? Particularly for a lot of our interns identify as white, they identify as members of different privileged groups. And so how do we you know, utilize that power? How do we not utilize our power inappropriately in therapy? How do we open up these dialogues and allow people to hopefully process and feel safe in therapy in a way that feels okay and that feels healing and restorative for people? Because I do think that's a really important part of therapy. I think for too long, the field of counseling, you know, 
I wouldn't say ignore necessarily, but didn't put as much of a focus, I think, as possible on what are these true ongoing daily historical and current traumas that people experience just by them being themselves within this country, within this world. And so part of what I've tried to do in terms of the counseling center is work with interns at that training level to how do we put this into practice. Also, one of the things we've established over this last year is doing monthly trainings with our interns. And as I said, over the summer, the focus of those has really been how do we work with race has been our particular focus this summer in therapy. And then that extends into some other things we're planning for the fall and spring. But again, I think, you know, there's a lot of research to show why don't um, people from marginalized communities come to therapy? And that's something that I, I really tried to investigate and really try to work with our interns to hopefully pull up some of those barriers as much as we can as with as with as within our power to do so that we can see more members of our community, people who are really hurting and really need support and encouragement from people who may not understand from their own lived experience, but that can certainly be with people through that pain and honor that and affirm people in their variety of different experiences. Okay, Al, so if Sarah invited you to come and speak to those interns about healing from historical trauma, what tips or advice would you have for those interns? Well, I mean, certainly everything that Sarah just said, but I I also think we're living through a kind of historical trauma right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I facilitate a support group for mental health professionals on Monday evenings in deal, dealing with COVID-19 and how they're experiencing it and how it's affecting their practices and what fears and anxieties they have. And we're all filled with anxiety about COVID in one way or another. And so, yeah, if, if I was invited to speak, I would probably speak about this current historical trauma because I'm, I'm very concerned about the long-term impact of this. There are people who, are, who have lost loved ones. There are people who have had COVID themselves and are listed as recovered, but they're by no means completely recovered. They're still struggling with breathing issues and you know heart issues, and, and sometimes brain fog goes on for months afterwards. So I think we're gonna be dealing with this a lot in the future, even when, I'm not gonna say COVID goes away, because that may be too idealistic, but you know, when we were managing it better, people are going to be dealing with this for a long time. It's kind of changed us in ways that we could never have anticipated. And I, I think that's what I'd want to talk to the interns about is how you deal with your own struggle with this. The shift to telehealth has had challenges, but at least you feel safe with doing telehealth. But what happens when you know, your safety needs are threatened when everybody comes back and does face-to-face counseling if COVID is not gone completely. You know, you had mentioned earlier, Sarah, that we put a lot of life on pause, but it doesn't sound like you paused anything. You're still going 100%, basically adjusting to this big change. And that's what we're dealing with is very profound changes mm-hmm. in how we relate to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to have a long-term impact, I think, on us as mental health professionals, but also on uh, the clients we serve. Um, I, if I could, if I could add something, I would say too. It's been very 
interesting as a supervisor, as a director, to also watch, you know, our master's interns, they do a one year long, you know, practicum and then internship. So this is, this is it for them. So our interns right now, they started doing telehealth in June. They've not met with clients face-to-face. They haven't met together as a group face-to-face. So it's been an extra challenge for them to, how do you build community? You know, I think as counselors, a lot of us take for granted the ability to walk into, you know, our coworker's office or walk into this workroom and say, I'm having a rough day or, oh my gosh, you know, this is my second client. I still don't know what I'm doing yet. You know, I need some encouragement. How do we build and foster that community, that support that you need when you're starting this, you know, really demanding job in the midst of a really demanding time? So, that's been a real challenge as a director, as a supervisor, and then certainly a huge challenge for the interns. So I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, in the coming years, what has this experience been like for people that this was their, you know, foray into counseling. And I, all our interns are doing wonderful. And I think that's true across the board from everyone I know. And also it's really hard. It can feel isolating. And so it'll be interesting to see how that does or maybe doesn't impact their, you know, kind of identity as a counselor and their continued experience in doing counseling as they go forward. Yeah. So as we start to close things down here, Sarah, I want to leave you with the last question that you will ask Aval. So take it away. Matt put me well, on the floor, so it's only fair you'd be put on the spot. <laughs> All right. Well, and obviously, you know, I've asked you so many questions over time, but I'm curious. I mean, as now that you've been away for a year-ish or so, when you look back on it, I mean, what was a big takeaway for you from being in this role or what was something you feel like you learned about yourself through taking this on? Yeah, I, for me, what was always most important was establishing a kind of a context of caring among mm-hmm. staff and between staff members. And I tried to do that in my 13 years as director was establish a context of caring where people really supported each other, uh, didn't compete with each other, which is hard to do because people, some people are naturally competitive. Mm-hmm. But where everybody felt like like they could get support from not only their supervisors, but from one another. And I think that happened just about every year where people felt close. I mean, there are people now, and I know that because I'm Facebook friends with them now, our former students, who are still very close friends with one another. Even if they're doing so now, you know, virtually, they're still maintaining those friendships and relationships they have with one another as interns in the counseling center. So, you know, that kind of sense of esprit de corps, the spirit of the counseling center there, you know, my hope, and I feel very confident with you as director, that that's my legacy, you know, that that we have that place as a special place, a context of caring, not only for one another, for staff members, but for the people that we serve, and that, to me, is, has been the most gratifying thing. Mm-hmm. And it's the thing that uh, I think is most important in cultivating there at the Counseling Center, just genuine caring about our fellow human beings. All right. So, Sarah, we're almost done. The last thing I need you to do is just share that last bit of wisdom with our audience, and then we'll be done. Yeah. 
Well, you know, I think especially as Al talked about during this time, which is, you know, we are living through a historical trauma in a number of ways. I think one of the things that can really happen is the more isolated we are, the more isolated we become. You know, it's easier to withdraw into yourself. It's harder to have to really work to make connections, to call your your relatives or your friends on the phone, to do these things that maybe before just came naturally when you were working in the cubicle next to someone or you saw someone, you know, at daycare pickup or whatever it was. You have to work to make these connections. And so I think right now there's both this pull to withdraw into yourself because um, of this extra demand to put yourself out there. And there's also this extra sense of how damaging that that can be because really this is a time when everyone needs some level of support and encouragement. One of the things that we're seeing is that while counseling has always been for everyone in my perspective, we are certainly seeing so many people now that have never felt the need to reach out for counseling before reaching out for counseling now. And it has been life-changing for people. And I can say that beyond a shadow of a doubt, even if it's just to talk with someone about how anxious you feel about the world, or if it's something that, you know, you're realizing some things that now feels like a good time to talk about them. This is a great time to reach out to forge a human connection with someone else in a somewhat low stakes way. I also tell people, you know, we, you can just always try it out. Call, set up an appointment, talk with someone, talk with them about what it's gonna be like. Our counselors always take time in the first session to tell you kind of what counseling is. You get to ask all the questions that you want. And then you can always decide at that point if it feels like a good fit for you or not. You know, I think sometimes making that call feels like a huge commitment for the next five years of your life or something. But truly all it is is saying, hey, I would really like to talk to someone else about what's happening in my life right now. And we have wonderful, caring, fantastic, fantastic people. Now when we're in a time when we're all experiencing something that none of us have ever experienced before, we're not supposed to know how to navigate it by yourself. So this is a wonderful time to take that step, reach out. We will embrace you and affirm you and work with you through whatever it is that you are dealing with right now.